Thanks, Beachy, and uh, good to be here this morning, even on a cold, wet, wintry day. And uh, I might just start by saying um, the message is recorded, but the whole service isn't. Uh, here's fine. And so for those who are unwell and at home and are listening to this message afterwards, just want to assure those people that uh, we're praying for you and uh, missing you and certainly thinking of you. And that message comes from all three of us here today. <laughs> no, if you're listening at home, there's, there's much more than that. It'd be six or seven, I guess. Actually, a good, a good friend whispered in my ear before I got up just to uh, remind me that, you know, the fewer numbers today was to do with the weather and not the person who was rostered on to preach. <laughs> Let's start with a prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can gather here today, even on, on a day like this, and we are sinful, broken people who are just wanting earnestly to follow you and to serve you. And we ask that you speak with us all now and be with those who are unwell and at home too. Amen. So with weather like this, you're probably not thinking about one of the treasures of our region, and that is Lake Macquarie. Now, I don't know what your experience of Lake Macquarie is, but with the way the weather is today, it provides the perfect backdrop for the start of my message. Now, maybe your experience is that you like to go fishing, perhaps you like to um, just be near it and enjoy the beauty of it, sunrise, sunset, and even on a day like this, there's something special about it. Maybe you like boating, perhaps sailing, water skiing, jet skiing, swimming, um, or just picnicking and walking around the foreshore. But have you ever stood in Lake Macquarie, chest deep, 11 o'clock at night, on a cold, stormy evening, fully clothed? I have. And I never intend to do it again. You know, in the Bible, there's many wonderful promises about what a life with God can bring. So many blessings and assurances. But the Bible also makes it clear that there are times that are tough. Even Jesus himself said, here on earth, you will have trials and sorrows. And we know that life throws us all kinds of curveballs, unexpected and sometimes unwanted disruptions to life. And they could be standing in the lake at 11 o'clock at night, could be a flat tyre, things that really aren't too big of a deal. But sometimes there's more challenges that come along, long-term hardship and illness, uh, the passing of a, a family member or a friend, and they can be quite challenging. During my teenage and early 20 years, we lived at Belmont. And in those years, in that time, Dad owned a few boats, not at the one time, but at different times. And we had one lovely old wooden boat, and it could hold about 10 people. And we had wonderful days growing up, um, being on the boat, fishing or jumping over the edge, swimming, um, putting around, uh, heading out to Poolbara Island and exploring the island. We have wonderful memories of that time. And a family from our church at Belmont lived right near the water's edge and they owned a private jetty and they allowed Dad to moor his boat at the end of that jetty. And one night, I must have been about 17 at the time, I guess, uh, I was safe and sound and asleep, tucked in bed 
Um, it was stormy outside, and Dad knocked on the bedroom door and opened the door, woke me up and said that these friends from church had just called him to say that the mooring ropes had snapped on the boat and the waves had pushed the boat against the concrete retaining wall in front of their house. Now, here's a photo to show you the exact location. So you see the white jetty there was where the boat was moored and the, uh, the concrete retaining wall in the front of the house. And these friends were concerned that the constant pounding of the waves, even though they're not huge waves on the lake, but the constant pounding of them and knocking the boat against the concrete wall would damage the boat. So Dad and I dressed, hopped in the car, drove down to the lake, and we could see that the boat wasn't damaged. It was still floating but being bashed against the concrete wall. So Dad quickly summed up the situation and decided that someone, one of us, needed to grab the rope, the snap rope, and walk out along the jetty and tow the boat back to the end of the jetty where we could tie it up securely in the deeper water. One of us would need to be in the lake and pushing the boat and guiding it because the waves would have kept slamming it against the jetty and damaged the jetty and the boat. Now, I don't know how I always used to draw the short straws with these kind of situations, but Dad grabbed the rope, walked on the jetty, I got into the lake, fully clothed, to... Um, to push the boat and guide it back out. So Dad secured it at the end of the jetty. The family very kindly gave us some towels to dry off, offered us both a brandy that we politely declined. Methodist minister and a 17-year-old, thanks anyway. And we drove home. Um, I uh, hopped into, I had a shower, got warm again, hopped into bed, went to sleep. But that's not the end of the story. About two o'clock in the morning, there's a knock on my bedroom door and Dad came in. The phone had just rung and the ropes had snapped again. Clearly, we needed to get bigger ropes. So we hopped in the car, went back down, but unfortunately, we could see that the boat had been damaged. The pounding of the boat against the concrete wall had split the side. It had filled with water and the boat was resting on the bottom of the lake. Now, it was only about a metre deep, but we knew we could do nothing so um, we headed back home and in the next few weeks Dad arranged for it to be salvaged out of the lake and uh, it sat at the side of our house for, uh, for many years um, until uh, Dad finally realised we couldn't fix it and he sold it to a, a father and son who were going to do a special father-son project and, uh, and restore this boat. And often when we drive around the lake, um, Belmont Valentine Crowdus Bay, I look out and think, I wonder if that's the boat there, I wonder if that's the boat there. But while unpleasant and uncomfortable at the time, I came out unscathed. However, for the boat, the constant pounding of the waves against the concrete wall um, was too much for it. And that's how the trials and sorrows of life can be for us. We can come out relatively unscathed or we can find that the pounding continually wears us down to the point where it takes its toll on us in some way and sometimes even on our faith. And I wonder, have you ever felt that your faith was taking a pounding in some way? Have you ever felt that your faith was under fire? And that's the topic of our next series that we're starting today, Faith Under Fire. How can we stand strong in our faith? 
when things around us just seem too much to bear? How do we keep walking with God when we're tired or disappointed or despondent or in despair or discouraged and can't see the way ahead? And what keeps us going beyond the point we thought we could possibly travel? How do we help one another when we know that others are in this kind of situation? If you were in church two weeks ago, you would have heard the story of Norman and the Little Hurt. Who remembers that story if you were here? Well, if you're in that dark place, trapped by a fence and by an attitude that you have, how can your faith move you out of that? If you feel like you've been in that situation, or if you're in a situation now where you're feeling faith is taking a pounding, know that you're not the only one. Even when we look back through the Bible, at heroes of the Bible, we can see there were times they felt their faith was taking a pounding and it was under fire. Pam mentioned Elijah. And he did some amazing miracles. But there was a time where he felt he was the only one left, that there were no other faithful people around him. David wrote countless times in the Psalms that my enemies surround me on every side. And Job wrote, if only someone could make God stop beating me. That's how he felt. John the Baptist, who told of the coming of Jesus when he was in jail and feeling despondent, started to question, is Jesus really the Messiah or not? And if you jump forward 2,000 years and if you read biographies of, of um, strong people in the Christian faith in this era, I'm sure you'll find a chapter or two where they've experienced hardship and a pounding and that their faith was under fire. I heard of an example just this week of Martin Luther King Jr., who was a Baptist minister and led the American Civil Rights Movement in the 1950s and 60s. And there was one night he was sitting at home and a brick was thrown through his window with a note that threatened... Um, his family and him. Someone was going to bomb the house. And he stayed awake anxiously all night keeping guard. And he was wrestling with God and saying, God, I can do this journey, but not my family. And if you're not in this God, then it's too hard and I can't do it and I don't want to go on. And he kept watched over his family and he prayed earnestly all night. And towards the end of that long uh, night, in the early morning, he felt God was saying to him, yes, this is what I've called you to do. I will be with you. I will go forward. And he knew then that he could continue. And in his journal, he comments that that evening was the most significant event for him in the whole of the civil rights movement, even more significant than speaking to hundreds of thousands of people with the I have a dream speech. And focusing right in here, we know in this congregation here today, there are people who have had those times where they've been pounded against a concrete wall and their faith is under fire. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows. And it's true. Let's look in the New Testament and hear what the Apostle Paul wrote about the trials he faced. This passage comes out of a chapter where Paul is addressing false teachers and prophets who were leading the people astray. And they were boasting about their successes and achievements and all the wonderful things they do. And in a somewhat ironic and sarcastic kind of a tone, 
Paul is addressing them, but rather than boasting of these amazing things, he's boasting of his weaknesses and his trials. And in doing so, takes the focus off him and about God who delivers him. This is what he says. Are they, that's the false prophets, servants of Christ? I know I sound like a madman, but I have served him far more. I've worked harder, been put in prison more often, been whipped times without number, and faced death again and again. Five different times the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Hey, I kind of know that feeling. Once I spent a whole night and day adrift at sea. Kind of know that feeling too. I've travelled on many long journeys. I've faced dangers from rivers and robbers. I've faced danger from my own people, the Jews, as well as from the Gentiles. I've faced danger in the cities and the deserts and on the seas. I've faced danger from men who claim to be believers, but are not. I've worked hard and long, enduring many sleepless nights, have been hungry and thirsty and have gone, often gone without food. I've shivered in the cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. Then, besides all of this, I have the daily burden of my concern for all of the churches. Talk about relentless pounding against a wall. Talk about faith under fire. Yet that, that was, uh, though that was Paul's situation, there is never any indication that he wanted to give up. And contrary to this, let's read something about his trials. In Romans, Paul says, Rejoice when trials come because they develop endurance, character and a hope of our salvation. And that theme is picked up by the author of the book of James who says that trials are a great opportunity for joy. When faith is tested, endurance has a chance to grow. Again, Paul writes in, in Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, he says that our present troubles won't last for very long. Fix your eyes on what is eternal. Paul sees a bigger picture in all of this. The trials that he's going through are that much out of eternity. And in 1 Peter, we read that trials purify our faith and test that it's genuine, just like a fire purifies gold. And back to Paul, who's been beaten within a thread of his life, whipped, jailed, shipwrecked, in constant danger. Paul stunningly writes this. We are pressed on every side by troubles, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. Kind of sounds like a promo for State of Origin, doesn't it? Poor old Queensland. But how can Paul say this? How can he say that when he's faced all of these things? What is it that kept Paul going daily when he was continually pounded, literally pounded, time and time again? Over the coming weeks in this series, we'll explore some of the key principles that we can hold on to in these moments, in times of trial, 
and when our faith is under fire. And even if you're not feeling like your faith is under fire at the moment, now is the time to prepare because it will come. In this life, there will be trials and sorrows. So what's the key principle that we can learn from Paul? Well, it's simply this. Firmly grasp your purpose. Firmly grasp your purpose. Have you ever held the hand of a young child in a large crowd or walking near the water or near a busy street? You're totally focused on protecting the most important thing to you at that moment, and that's that child. And there's no way you would let go of that child's hand. Your phone could be buzzing in your pocket and you're not going to let go of the child's hand to answer the phone. The caller can leave a message. And just like you hold that child's hand and would never let it go, we have to hold on to God and firmly grasp the purpose he has for us. But unlike holding the child's hand, we're not holding God's hand for his sake. We're holding it for our own sake. And rather than withdraw in hard times and step back, step into God, step closer to him, remembering that the one who delivers you, and he will deliver you, also delights in you. You are deeply loved. God holds out his hand to take ours so that we can hold his hand tightly. And rather than sink into the lake, we can rise above the storm and find that we grow and that our faith is purified and strengthened. So if the key principle that we learn from Paul is firmly grasp your purpose... The question would be then, well, what was Paul's purpose? And he hints at that in that long passage that I read. It started by Paul saying, I have served him far more. I have served him far more. So Paul's purpose was to faithfully serve God, faithfully serve the one who'd called him, and that's what he grasped onto. And Paul's purpose was revealed right at the start of his ministry. If you know the, the story of Paul, he was called Saul and he hated Christians and he wanted to do all he could to stomp out this new faith. And he had permission from officials to go and arrest Christians and put them in jail. And he was persecuting them. And God spoke to him on the road to Damascus in a very miraculous way. And at that instant turned Paul's life around. Paul spent a few days in a house just contemplating and praying and listening to God. And God spoke to another believer, Ananias, and said, go and talk to Paul. And Ananias knew of his reputation and said, no way, he's the one who's persecuting Christians, I'm not going there. And this is what God said to Ananias. The Lord said to him, go because I have chosen him to serve me and to make my name known to Gentiles and kings. And to the people of Israel. And I myself will show him all that he must suffer for my sake. So there it is right from the start. Paul's purpose, his calling is to serve Jesus. Who makes it clear that it's not going to be an easy path for Paul. And throughout his ministry, Paul's purpose never changed. Life was hard, but the purpose never changed. In fact, you could say that life was hard because of his purpose. And it can be the same for us. 
when hard times come, it's not because God has failed us in any way. When we don't have control over the trials and the sorrows that we face, it's easy to blame God. But keep in mind, with God, your purpose is greater, is more powerful than any problems you'll ever come across. Firmly grasp your purpose. It's the undeniable belief and it's the rock-solid conviction that grows and strengthens your faith when it's under fire. So perhaps the question in your mind while you've been speaking, well, what is my purpose? I can understand how Paul grasped onto his. I understand his purpose was to serve the Lord. But what is my purpose? Well, I want to put it to you that it's exactly the same as Paul's. For any of us who are called to follow Jesus, our purpose is to serve him. And whether you find yourself preaching to kings, building an ark, leading a nation out of slavery, supporting a church, working in a Christian organisation, working in a non-Christian organisation, pumping petrol, selling groceries, raising a family, talking with neighbours, or dying on a cross. We all have the same purpose, to be a servant of God. And that doesn't change during trials. Grasp hold of this and let that truth be your bedrock. But further, it's much more than what we do. It's how we go about what we do. It's the relationships that we formed. It's the conversations that we have. It's the attitude and heart that we show. It's our humility and willingness to learn and to grow, to endure and to never give up. As Noah served God, God instructed him to build a boat. Could be quite appropriate, couldn't it? But imagine Noah moaning and groaning under the weight of the heavy timber beams that he had to lift. Or letting fly an unsavoury word when he hit his thumb with a hammer. Or complaining and doing a dummy spit when two pieces of timber didn't quite fit together the way they were supposed to. And once he finally set sail, complaining about the weather or the smell of the animals. There has to be joy in what we're doing and in our calling. I'll get the band to come up. And it's not by chance that the Bible urges us to find joy and hope in our trials, to be thankful, to see our trials as time of growth, to know that we're being refined and purified. Being a sad and reluctant servant of God who appears to have the weight of the world on our shoulders, actually that places our faith at risk and it does little to serve God as warranted. Earlier I shared these words. Here on earth you'll have many trials and sorrows. I have to confess though, I was a little bit naughty. I didn't share the whole verse. Let's have a look at that whole verse now. Jesus is speaking. I have told you all this so you may have peace in me. 
Here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. Jesus is the overcomer who we serve. He offers us peace and hope in the midst of our trials and sorrows. I'll finish this message where I started, back at Lake Macquarie. Not in Lake Macquarie, but back at Lake Macquarie. Yes, it was unpleasant. It was uncomfortable. But strangely, even though ultimately we lost the boat, the experience is now one of those memories of a special time with Dad. We were doing something hard and we did it together. And I wonder when we look back on the trials and the sorrows and the challenges that we go through, when we look back on the times where we feel we're being pounded into a concrete wall, where our faith is under fire, will we recognise that we were there doing something hard, doing something special with our Heavenly Dad, whom we serve. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that you call us to your purpose, to serve you. And Father, there are times where that's a joy and a pleasure and life seems good, but at times where it seems stormy and we feel we're being pounded and our faith is under fire. But Father, help us to rejoice in those times, to know that you are there with us, that you are reaching out your hand for us to take hold of and that we will not sink, but we will rise above. We will walk on the water. Father, I want to pray for all of those here or those who are listening today who feel that things are tough at the moment. And Father, we know that that's how life can be. And we want to love and support and care for one another. But Father, I pray that no one will let go of their faith, that will hold tightly to that, that we will grow and be strengthened. Lord, help us to be sensitive to each other's needs as well, to have them on our radar and to trust you for the right words to say and the right places to be. Father, you are good and we love doing life with you.